Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to Tigers in 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast, your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tigers athletics. Here are your hosts, founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead writer for Go Tigers 247, Christian Fowler. What's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode. I'm your host, Christian Fowler, and joining me as always is Go Tigers 247 founder, Brooks Hansen. Go Tigers 247 digital content creator, Kenny Stubblefield, and the Go Tigers 247 vet, the old man of the group, (laughs) Jonah Jordan. Uh, And guys, we have a lot to unpack today. Um, Memphis is coming off of a loss to Tulsa, so that's the bad news of the podcast. But we also have good news when it comes to football, Montgomery Bowl, recruiting. So Brooks, I know you have a specific way you want to start this episode. Where are we starting this week? Yeah, let's go uh, good news first, bad news second. So let's start the first half of the podcast with football this week. If you want to hear us rant, rave, complain about basketball, give you a full kind of nine-game-in state of the program with uh, with Memphis basketball, you'll have to stick around after the commercial break and listen to uh, our thoughts on that. So, Christian, uh, what do you want to start with, recruiting or do we want to start Montgomery Bowl? So let's start with recruiting and then uh, we'll we'll get into the Montgomery Bowl and we'll do a quick preview of that. We're not going to spend too much time on Montgomery Bowl, mainly football for, for this episode is going to be based off of recruiting. And Jonah and I did the, uh, did the 2021 signing day breakdown. So if you want to hear about the 2021 signees, anything that has to do with that, you can go check that out. Uh, we did it last or early last week, mid last week. So you can go check that out. Uh, we did a pretty deep dive on most of the signees. But for today, we're talking about the two Michigan State transfers. Ryan Silverfield on Monday got the two highest rated commits in school history within two hours of each other. So obviously extremely impressive. The morning started off with former number one overall guard, number 51 overall player, Devontae Dobbs. Transfer from Michigan State to Memphis, obviously a massive get. And then a couple hours later, they got his old high school teammate and obviously college teammate at Michigan State, Julian Barnett, who was the number 57 overall player and the number eight overall corner coming out of high school. So, I mean, I was pretty much speechless afterwards. I called Jonah and I was like, dude, what the (laughs) hell is going on? Like, what? What is happening here? They go from they go from people talking about, you know, can they get transfers? What level of transfers can they get? Is it going to be mid-major guys? going to be high-major guys? And they bring in two guys that were ranked in the top 60 coming out of high school. So, Jonah, what, what is the impact of this, and uh, what can fans be looking for from these two guys? I don't know what to say about what fans can be looking for. I mean, obviously, there are two Power 5 transfers, two guys in the top 60. They could be starters. They could be. Um, I know a Michigan State fan hopped on the board and was talking about both these guys yesterday, and um, Barnett may sound like a little bit of a project. We don't know. I don't know what to expect because they just haven't seen the field a whole lot. You know, Christian? Like They just haven't, and that's the reality of the situation. But obviously, there is so much potential there. There, there is so much potential in getting two top 60 prospects. I mean, 
they could be NFL draft picks. Like they could legitimately be NFL draft picks one day. And that is insane to me that Ryan Silverfield is recruiting at this level right now because it's taking the program to a whole nother level. I mean, I know Brady or Mike Norvell went out and got Brady White, but that was based upon a pre-existing relationship. And it sounds like Dobbs was a little bit of the same with Silverfield. But Barnett, I mean, that I don't I don't think that was the case. And it's really incredible that Memphis is able to do this. And like they kind of expect to now. They expect to go out and compete for transfers, compete for recruits at a high level. Yeah, and there's always there's always a what if with transfers, and we've seen it we've seen it work both ways for Memphis. I mean, you just mentioned Brady White, obviously that worked out well, but when you look at other guys, Coyote Oladelli, who was at one point committed and signed to Auburn, didn't work out, came to Memphis. He has made very minimal impact yeah. and seen limited snaps. Uh, Carlito Gonzalez, another Auburn guy, he's no longer with uh, the team. No longer with the team and didn't make much of an impact when he was. Uh, Asa Martin has started to make more of an impact, a Power 5 transfer. So you never know, but they've never gotten guys of this caliber. And I appreciate the Michigan State fan coming on yesterday and, and kind of tempering expectations and saying, hey, you know, they were ranked highly out of high school, but they looked at a place at this level. And my response to that is just because you can't be su- successful straight out of high school at Michigan State does not mean you cannot move down uh, to a group of five team like Memphis and make an impact because there are levels to this and I think that's very obvious everyone knows that there's levels to college football and sports in general so that move down for them I think is going to help them out tremendously uh, I know Dobbs is getting here in January I'm sure the plan is the same for Barnett I haven't spoken to him yet so I'm, I can't say that I'm 100% on that but I'm sure he'll be here in January also so for those guys to get here in January learn the playbook get used to the system meet their teammates meet their coaches and kind of start adapting to this level based off of, you know, the level that they were playing at before is very big for them. And the person that came on the board said, you know, Devontae Dobbs came in and, and struggled. And to, my response to that really is you're not playing against Ohio State. You're not playing against Iowa. You're not playing against Northwestern at at Memphis. You're just not. I mean, Ohio State puts, puts dudes in the league every year. Some of the best defensive ends in the league are from Ohio State. So... It's it's a completely different level. You're not blocking Chase Young and Nick Bosa at Memphis. It's just not not how it works out. So I think those guys come in, as long as they buy into the system early, learn the playbook, and, and really sell out. I think they're both starters, and I think they're both potential all-conference players by the time their career is over at Memphis because they have that talent and potential level. Obviously, they have to, like I said, buy in, learn the playbook, and uh, Devontae Dobbs said something to me yesterday about you know really working on his football IQ so to me, it's all positive signs. Uh, it, it's obviously big to get those guys, and I think they make an impact pretty quickly as long as they sell out once they get to Memphis. Yeah, I'm interested to see what position Barnett plays because he can play on both sides of the ball. Um, he can play wide receiver. He can play corner. And Memphis needs both of those right now. They need impact players at both positions. Well, let's let's just call it what it is. You know, let's just be honest about the situation. Michigan State just fired their coach for a reason because he's not getting the most out of the talent and the players that he has on roster. They're not winning games at the level that they should be. So what you're saying is, oh, this player isn't what he should have been coming on. Well, duh, their staff wasn't getting the job done. They got fired for a reason. So, uh I get that, and it's it's great to talk about like a prospect rated at what he is versus what he could be. Uh, 
you know, where he is in the development timeline. Both of these guys, especially uh, the second one, you know, he's he's been tossed back and forth between wide receiver and defensive back. Hasn't been stuck at a single position. Uh, seems like he's just kind of gotten a little bit screwed over, uh, and the staff didn't know how to use him. So, my my take is that Memphis probably has a better idea of how they want to use him, um, and and this Memphis staff actually is winning games. You know. Yeah, absolutely, and. You know, they both came in under Dan Tony and had to play under Mel Tucker this year and obviously didn't mesh with the staff. Very similar to kind of what happened on the basketball side of things with Landers Nolly trying to play for a new staff and it just didn't work out for him. But quick, interesting note, if you go look at who they were compared to coming out of high school by, I, th- I believe you pronounce his name, Trio, Trio, Alan Trio, 247 Sports National Recruiting Director. Coming out of high school compared Devontae Dobbs to Joel Batonio, who just got named to either his second or third Pro Bowl on Monday and compared Julian Barnett to James Bradbury, who was just named to the pro bowl also on Monday. So compared to two, uh, two pro bowlers this year, obviously, you know, the expectations you're coming out of high school and transferring are a little bit different, but all I'm trying to say with that is there is a lot of potential with these guys or, or they wouldn't be projected as, you know, first to fourth round picks when they came out of high school, if there wasn't potential there. I can't recommend the, the 2001, 2001, 2021 early signing day podcast that, that Christian and Jonah just did last week. Um, one of the things that Christian said in that podcast that I thought was extremely interesting and helpful is thinking about who Ryan Silverfield and the, and the recruiting staff went after in terms of offensive and defensive linemen, especially on the offensive lineman side trying to get bigger right trying to go after guys that are that that are you know fit the the role fit the size standard i guess of an offensive line um and seeing what you know Ryan Silverfield has done with guys like um uh, uh Dylan Parham and Dustin Woodard Dustin Woodard Dustin Woodard thank you Brooks forgot Julian Barnett's name earlier and i just I forgot did. Dustin's name um so you know you see what Ryan was able to do with those guys and then knowing that he has that previous relationship with Dobbs and how big of a guy he is you know I, I, Ryan Silverfield is a is a um he he's got he's got skills and reputation with offensive line this is what he's done for years and so while yes thank you for coming onto our boards and um trying to tell everybody how underperforming these guys were that's fine but Ryan Silverfield has also put undersized offensive linemen into the NFL and has turned guys who didn't even come into college as offensive line into all-conference offensive linemen. And so just imagine what he can do with a guy like Dobbs and um, uh, Julian Barnett. So I think it's going to be a interesting experiment, and I just think in the end it's a great it's a great day for the Tiger program that they were able to go after – two highly, highly sought-after recruits in the transfer portal and and get them to Memphis. Well, here's another thing. At the end of – I popped into that signing day show with Christian and Jonah. <laughs> Scared the and crap they out of actually, me. They had, uh, they had mentioned earlier in the podcast, well, you know, there's a few guys that might not be a part of this class that may drop. And, and I, you know, and a lot of this is that I'm educated from Christian and Jonah. So, uh, I knew – to say this because of them, 
But I said, you know, Memphis's class is going to get better, even if it may drop, because they're going to add guys like these two to this class. And th- this ain't done either. Like Memphis is going to add more pieces. Ryan Silverfield and this staff already have their hands in the transfer portal. They're already out there looking at guys. There are guys that can come in right away and make this Memphis team better day one from the moment they become eligible for Memphis. So that vote in January with the NCAA auto, you know, becomes massive for Memphis right now. You know, if the NCAA does pass legislation to make uh, a one-time transfer waiver uh, exception the the rule and not the exception, this is big. This is big because Memphis all of a sudden gets really, really good immediately. Yeah, I think they can take two more is what I think. I think they can take two more transfers, and I expect both to be high-level guys just like this one. If they're able to – if everything works out the way that I think it will, I think they'll have two more high-level transfers. Yeah, and there's still at least one high school guy they're working on, so there's definitely things to keep an eye on over the next week to two weeks because there could be more things popping off pretty quickly. But, Jonah, let's move on to Montgomery Bowl. I I know a lot of people aren't extremely excited about this, and I gave my thoughts on that last week of why that's kind of asinine, but we will just move right along with the preview. Uh, Jonah, tomorrow night, actually this podcast will come out on Wednesday, so tonight Memphis will be playing Florida Atlantic in the Montgomery Bowl. What are you watching for? How can Memphis win this game as they should? Uh, You just need Brady White to play well. I think that this Florida Atlantic offense is not very good. I think putting it nicely, um, they struggle to gain yards. They struggle to score. They aren't great in the red zone. And their defense has some pretty good stats, but I think that's been bolstered by the fact that they played UMass and UTSA in Western Kentucky. That kind of helps things. Like UMass scored two points against them. Two points. Um, Memphis should take care of business. I'm expecting it to be a blowout. If it's not, it'll be disappointing. Um, I But I think Brady White comes out and is just slinging it, honestly. Jonah, I think that's a very short-sighted take. What do you mean? Because, like, I mean, there, there are like a handful of games where we can actually say Brady White was not good. And typically, let me just let me just preface okay. that. Typically, every game where Brady White has not been good has been because of something else. So you can't simply say Brady White's got to be good. I disagree with you. I, I personally think that. Memphis's offensive line has to be good because so much else falls into place when they're good. If they're not good, Brady White's not going to be good. If they're not good, Memphis's running game is not going to be good. Yeah, no, I can agree with that to an extent, but I think that there have been games throughout his career and there have been games even this season where the offensive line showed up and Brady either started slow or sailed some passes or left some passes short. He needs to be as on point and like, there absolutely have been moments throughout his Memphis career. I don't know off the top of my head. I can't remember which games this season it was where the offensive line seemed to be blocking, except he seemed to be throwing off his back foot every other play where he was trying to move out of the pocket and it didn't seem like he needed to. But the Brady we saw against Houston and the offensive line that we saw against Houston is what Memphis needs, is where he has time to hitch up in the pocket, to step in and put his – it was something that Kenny Dillingham talked a lot about when he was the offensive coordinator here is Brady has to step up and actually put his foot into the ground as hard as he can and throw. And that is the best possible form of Brady. And I think that's what you need against FAU. Well, I mean, the let's just be fair. 
the 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 games where the offensive line showed up and was blocking and Brady was throwing off his back foot and making bad passes are so few and far between. That's why you can't name them. That's why you're having a hard time naming the specific games and halves is because they are so seldom. Oh, yeah. Brady White is typically very good. He's called a game manager for a reason. So, the I mean, to me, Memphis offensive line, they're good. Book it. Done deal. Memphis wins this game going away. We can't. Well, we'll just yeah. We're saying the same thing, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only game off the top of my head I can think of is the Temple game that they lost last season. But Brooks obviously read my uh, game preview because he just stole my point. <laughs> <laughs> Completely stole my point about the offensive line. I'm just but, pulling uh, a munch. Hey, y'all, but lo- <laughs> hey, y'all work together, so it's okay to steal Christian stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I do well, have, and one I was going to give you props for that hey. before you called it out. But <laughs> you know, because props where props do, credit where credits do, right? Yeah, but it's always funnier when you call it out yourself. I learned that from from the man himself. Um, but but I do have other points I can make. Fortunately, uh, it's one that Jonah made, but I want to go a little deeper on it. This FAU offense, and I'll put it, I'll put it uh, a little bit meaner than Jonah. They suck. Like, straight up, they have had two quarterbacks play this year, Nick Trani and Javion Posey. They have combined combined for seven touchdown passes and five interceptions. That's terrible. FAU doesn't have a quarterback. So, as long as Memphis is able to move the ball on offense and put up points, there's nothing Florida Atlantic can do to win this game. Because they're not going to be able to run the ball on Memphis. That's the one thing Memphis's defense can can play well against. And they obviously can't throw the ball against anybody because they've played terrible competition and still had bad games at the quarterback position. So the only way, and I don't even think it's fathomable or possible, the only way FAU wins this game if they somehow can control the clock, run the ball, and, and force Memphis to turn the ball over. But I think Memphis plays a clean game. I think Brady White, obviously, in his last game, is going gonna, is gonna to give everything that he has. Same thing with the offensive line. They know it's his last game. They love blocking for this guy. They have for some time now. They're going to give it everything they've got. And I expect the defense to look good because this this two-week period where they've gotten to practice is so big, and it's why they took this bowl game. It's not to go play in the Montgomery Bowl and win a bowl game. It's for these two weeks of practice because they didn't get them in the spring. They didn't get them in the summer. So these two weeks of practice are going to be huge for the O-line and the defense because I'm sure Ryan Silverfield has made adjustments as he needed to, uh, just couldn't make them as easily during the season. But with two weeks off, you can make some adjustments put in some new installs, take some things out. And on the defensive side, it gives Mike McIntyre and his staff more time to work on the things that they should have been able to work on in the spring. So I expect uh, a really good-looking, probably the best-looking Memphis football team we've seen all year. That's how it should be when you get two weeks of preparation. And I expect them to roll FAU pretty pretty, pretty easily. Speaking of good-looking, the football team just dropped the video with their uniforms they're going to be wearing tomorrow. Um, it's the classic white tops, the blue pants, and the striped blue helmets. Probably one of my favorite away looks that they have. What do y'all all think? I can think of, all I can think of when they wear these uniforms is Anthony Miller. Because I feel like every time Anthony yep. Miller wore the, the white jersey and yep. the blue pants, he went nuclear. He went nuclear on everybody, yes. Yeah. So anyway, should well, be a fun game. Guys, we're right at 20 minutes. So we're going to just call this Tigers in 20 Part one. So you you actually got an episode where it's 20 minutes long. Uh, Speaking of attractive, uh, Memphis basketball was not attractive last night. At halftime, they tweeted a video 
of the Palm Squad, and I almost tweeted the video and said the only thing that made uh, that that didn't make fans bleed from the eyes last night, but I decided to uh, lay off the basketball team. You just decided to so put it on, on our podcast. Thanks for that. Right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, because Twitter is a little bit more visible. This is for the select few that actually take the time to listen to our podcast. But um, so let's let's go ahead and wrap up football. Any other thoughts? Anybody? No, no, no let's, I'm let's good. Move going along. once, going twice. All right, y'all stick around. On the other side, we're gonna we're gonna have it out with Memphis basketball. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the uh, the positivity of the first 20 minutes of the episode because it's about to go downhill very quickly. Memphis lost to Tulsa in a game that they definitely should have won. I think everyone agrees with that. They were the more talented team, but they played like and I will speak my part on it later, but I'm going to turn it over to Brooks and let him go on a rant about the Memphis basketball team. I mean... There, there's nothing positive to say about last night, period. Um, and let's just be honest. There's not a lot positive to say about Memphis basketball this season in general. Uh, we've tried to quasi-sugarcoat it. Um, we've tried to be fair with you know Memphis missing DeAndre Williams being one, uh, one coaching staff member short, one assistant short. Um, but the reality is that Memphis does not look good. They do not look like a, a cohesive unit on the bench. They don't look like a cohesive unit on the floor. Uh, and let's just call it what it is. You don't score 49 points in a game and and somehow manage to, to be honest with yourself and say we have a tremendous offense. The problem is is the offense, period. There's a reason why they're ranked as low as they are in every metric offensively. Um, you know, it's the the metrics don't lie. You know, p- people want to say what they want about statistics. You know, there's lies, damn lies in statistics. But these statistics are there for a reason. Memphis is just piss poor offensively. 
And I'll get into why I think that is a little bit later. But guys, like last night, is there anything that you really want to point out about that game in particular? I mean, to me, there's nothing that I can see. There's dumb mistakes. There's uh, missed free throws yet again. That essentially was the difference in the game for Memphis. At what point do you set all these dumbass mistakes aside and start playing ball? So th- this is this is a difficult topic to discuss because there. Are, I mean, we could. I, I think honestly, think we could sit here and talk about this for an hour and a half. I really do. So I'm going to try to compress what I have to say pretty quickly so everyone can talk. I don't want to try to take over 20 minutes of talking, but. Uh, there's been a lot of blame on Penny Hardaway, and deservedly so. I mean, you can see what's going on. And and honestly, in my opinion, what this is, this is the 2019 Memphis Tigers team without Precious Achiwa. It's what, it's what I see because it was the same way last year. A defensive team that struggled offensively is always going to be in these scrappy, close, defensive, ugly, turnover-filled games and that's what it was all year last year. But they had Precious Achiwa who bailed them out on the boards and down low. And they don't have that this year. So to me, that's that's a part of it. I think this is the same team as last year, but just not as not as good because they don't have Precious Achiwa. And like I said, I think Penny Hardaway obviously deserves some blame, but it doesn't look like the players give a shit. Like, I'm just going to be brutally honest. Like, it doesn't look like they care. It doesn't look like they want to be there. It doesn't look like they want to play. It looks like, and this is what it looked like last year on the road, but at home they had fans, and they wanted to play in front of the fans. That's why they came. FedEx form, 20,000 people, let's show off in front of them. Now they don't have that, and they don't give a shit. And that's what it looks like to me, just being brutally honest. It looks like they, they don't have anybody to play in front of, so they don't care. They're just out there saying, you know, our talent's going to take us to the NBA. And I'm not talking about everybody. There are players that clearly care and want to be out there but there are also guys who could care less and just want to shoot the basketball and just want to try to walk into the NBA. And sorry, but that's not how it works. You don't just walk into college, suck, and then go to the NBA. Well, it's not the, how it happens. The loss last night was bad in and of itself. But right. then to pair it with the optics of the day that you, the university and Penny Hardaway announce, you know, a, an agreement on a new 12 year, I mean, a five year, 12 million plus dollar new contract extension, the day you announce that, you turn around and score 49 points in a game and lose to Tulsa at home. It's The optics are horrible. I, I mean, and I so I get why fans are upset. Like, there's, there's a commitment shown to Penny Hardaway in this basketball program. And then the reciprocation almost immediately is not there. It's like, what are we, what are we doing here? You know? Yeah, and yeah, and I, I I said I wasn't going to talk forever, but I do have a couple points I want to make, and I'm going to turn it over to Kenny because I know he has some stuff he wants to say too. The on the floor pro- product, like you said, Brooks, the optics are terrible of the contract and the way they performed last night. But to me, one of the most telling things is the post game press conference. Someone I don't know who it is, but someone asked after the game, "What's the feeling in the locker room? What what is the guys' reaction to this loss? Because obviously it's a brutal loss, and you guys should have won this game." And he says, half of them, I think, care and are unhappy. And the other half, I don't know. I really I really don't know. 
that is not a good sign. That is not a good sign, guys. Like there, there should be everyone on the team should care if you lose. And honestly, at this point, this sounds terrible, but same thing. I'm just being completely real right now. Connor Glennon probably cares more than half of the team right now. The walk on probably cares more than half of half of the starter, not necessarily the starters, but the team right now. That's a bad sign. If you don't know who cares and who wants to be there and who doesn't. That's a terrible thing. It's the reason John Calipari let Cameron Fletcher walk yesterday. A former, what, Brooks, top 30, top 20 player? Yep. He let him walk because he wasn't buying into his system. That's that's the moves you have to make if you're going to be a college head coach. If you have players that don't want to be there, don't care about winning, and simply just don't give a shit, you got to get them out of there. You can't have cancers in the locker room or the whole team's going to implode. And we're seeing that happen every single time this team touches the floor. Every time they touch the floor, something gets worse. Landers Nolly has terrible body language, and you see players get angry at that on the floor, visibly, during the middle of the game. All that shit should be worked out in practice, and it's not. This team, apparently they're great in practice and terrible in the game, and that, that says a lot about where they're at. Or it says well, a lot about how they I, practice. Exactly, Kenny. And and this is, I'm going to say this, I'm going to turn it over to you. It says a lot about what their practice is. It's and this is just me being honest. This is this is from almost half a dozen sources in and around the basketball program. Memphis basketball's practices are ninety plus percent defense. You cannot spend so much time on defense and proclaim our practices are great when we focus on defense. Guess what? The issue is not your defense. It's the ten percent. It's your offense. That's the problem. Your practices look great because you're not practicing your offense. You don't see the the shortcomings. You don't see where you're where you're not getting it. And then when you get in the game and it's you know 50% offense at least, if not more sometimes because you're a good defensive team, then guess what? You struggle. There's always on the offensive side of the ball, there's always Actions that you that you're doing inside of a possession in order to get open shots, in order to move towards an objective, and obviously the overarching objective is to get the ball into the basket. In high school and in AAU, it it's kind of fool's gold in that when you have a when you have athletic players, when you have talented players that are ranked, that are whatever, that you know have stars next to their name it's it's literally just get them the ball and let them work. And in college and especially in the NBA, that is just not how it works. And so, you know, my question about, you know, cause it, it, to me, it rings hollow to hear after every single game, even, even after the Tulane game that they won by 10, by six points. They're practicing better. I don't know what happens on the floor during. Well, what happens is, is you got dogs on the other side of the floor who are who aren't playing nice with you and are coming after you and trying to stop you. And and you know my my thought process about it is, especially in terms of practicing and practicing offense and and you know how that how, how all that goes down um, for the for the team is you have to. There is not a single player on the Tiger team right now that I would say, 
get them the ball and just let them work. There's not a player on the squad who can who can generate buckets like that. There's not. Every person every person on the Tiger team has a role, a skill set, and the offense must must put them in positions to be able to utilize that. You don't have a Derrick Rose on this team. You don't have a Will Barton on this team. You don't have a whoever other player that you want, a Kevin Durant while he was at Texas. You don't have that kind of a player that can just go get buckets at any given time. And so the problem that I see is is that there seems to be literally they're trying their best to figure out how to get players in certain positions but there's just not the objective to me of, of like, let's get them in the best spots possible so that we can get the best offensive possessions possible, get the ball in the basket. It's just we're going to throw out a play for you to practice for 10 minutes out of every practice, and then somewhere in there there's going to be a shot. It just doesn't make sense to me because none of them well, are good enough to get that shot. I mean, Kenny, let's just keep on this practice uh, tangent. Another thing that Boogie Ellis said in media availability, um, it it caught both of our attentions when he said it. Let's just let's pause here, listen to the clip of Boogie Ellis, what he had to say, and talk about why this is so concerning on the other side. We play with certain people on our team, so so a certain five is with a certain five, and it doesn't really get mixed up. That could be an issue too, having chemistry. But games could give us more chemistry, so just it, we'll, we'll keep getting better throughout the season. So Ellis, in that clip, says the same five guys always play together on the floor at the same time. In a game, is that how it works? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? No, that's no. not how it works. <laughs> No, well, it's clearly not how it works. No, I mean, within 45 seconds of a game tipping, Penny's flipping the script and, you know, substituting guys with, within the rotation. He's to not where, subbing five guys out, five guys in, five guys out, five yeah, guys he's in. Yeah, he's not doing like a platoon style where he's sending five and five. Uh, you know, the offense has to be – practice the same way it is in a game you cannot expect to have a high level offense if you don't work on it you don't practice defense for the majority of your practice and then suddenly somehow have an elite level surgical style gonzaga level offense you you just don't have that so uh, until that's fixed until the things going on behind the scenes are fixed the the who who gives a shit things, uh, the locker room issues thing, until uh, your staff issues, until uh, you know your practice plan and how you're implement until that's fixed, you're never gonna see an acceptable product on the floor for Memphis basketball. Period. And I'll mic drop with that. I just here's my problem. I kept quiet about this for a long time. I do not understand. And this is going back to the extension. I think I'm one of the few people that didn't understand it. I don't understand it. I really don't get it. I do not understand why you just extended somebody for five years who has struggled with these same things for three years. It's, do you get it? Like, I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. It's been the, it's been the same thing for three years. It's players struggling, 
to give a crap. It's lineup problems. It's offense problems. It's not practicing the right things. It's, I don't understand it. And it, this goes back to me. I mean, I was one of the loudest people when it came to this and Brooks, you were too at the time. Why are we not holding him to the same standard that we held Tubby Smith and Josh Pastner? Because we're not. As media, as fans, as everybody, people aren't. People have completely moved the goalposts for Penny Hardaway, and I think that's part of the problem. They have Because he's had to... They haven't. And and here's why, Jonah. I, I see what you're saying. There's a combination. So it's like a uh, the scales of justice, okay? When okay. ideally things would be completely level, both on the court production and fan engagement. You can't have an extremely... You can even have a highly successful team and zero to poor fan engagement and losing money within the athletic department and expect for there to be support for the coach. You can't have an extremely... I don't know what world this would exist in, an extremely poor performance on the the court and you know an extremely happy and engaged fan base and there be support for the coach ideally you want them to match you want high level support high level of on the court performance penny up until now has had high fan engagement he's been decent you know 20 plus wins uh, you know good recruiting Lots of hope for the future. If at any, and this is where Josh Pastor started to go downhill. He had all of those things. Josh Pastor did. It was when the hope for the future, the recruiting started to go downhill, when the transfer started, when on court performance started going down. It was when he made it to the NCAA tournament and did not win games. It was when those things happened that fan support dropped. And I'll just say this, the the contract extension, when it happened, makes no sense. You're under an IARP investigation. You're in the middle of COVID. You just laid off a massive majority of the athletic department. The optics of giving a coach a massive raise when your other coaches just got 10 to 20% pay cuts in the middle of COVID when you're having to take out a bank loan, and I know... Yes, some of that contract is floated by boosters outside of university funds, so I get that. And, you know, sponsorships, Nike, all that good stuff. But the moment that that stuff starts going downhill, the other intangibles, hope for the future, recruiting, uh, you know, goodwill with the fan base starts going down if and when that happens and you're still losing games. Things don't look good for Penny Hardaway. No, the, I guess I'll just have to see the buyout. I like that's the biggest concern to me. It's like, what happens when we're here? This because I'm I'd be willing to bet. I know y'all love this recruiting class. These kids seem good. Jordan Nesbitt, all those other guys, but I'd be willing to bet we're in the same spot next year. He has shown an inability to change, and I do not understand why you would want to give somebody like that a five year extension. I understand the the, the like a two year deal. But a five-year extension, you just locked yourself into something that you may have to get out of. And um, I just don't – I don't see a, a way that this makes sense to me. But I, I don't I'm, – maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just being negative, but I, I don't know. I don't think that – I mean, I understand what you're saying. 
Um, I do think that in, you said a few minutes ago that um, over the last two and a half years that um, Penny Hardaway has shown a um, an inability or a lack of desire to change. Um, I don't think that that's true in specifically this 2021 class. Um, recruiting wise, recruiting is always a crapshoot, right? Recruiting is always there's you're you're projecting, you're evaluating. Sometimes your evaluations, you know, come true. Sometimes they don't. Um, but if you look at the the um, in terms of the recruiting side of 2019 versus 2021, um, there's a clear shift in in the staff at the University of Memphis and how they recruit. And so, um, you know, we'll see if it works or not. It's an evaluate. It, it's a it's a we're recruiting you for what we think you can become. And and clearly, 2019 number one recruiting class in the country was all about you know the 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 highest ranked, highest rated players you could possibly get. And it, it feels like to me, while the players that in 2021 are starting to get recruiting bumps, there seems to be more of a team-based, you know, how are we going to fit together um, skill set, like developing skill sets, you know, things like that. So um, I'm not saying that to say I disagree with what you're saying, Jonah. I'm just saying that I do think that there is there has been some changes that have been made. I mean, changes on the recruiting front don't matter if you're not going to change what happens on the floor, what happens in practice. I mean, you could throw you could throw Clay Thompson and Stephen Curry out there right now, and it may not matter. You know, like it just unless you're unless he shows a willingness to change the way that he coaches on and off the floor, I don't. It's not going to work. It doesn't matter who he recruits. One well, and here's an, a point, Jonah. To to Kenny's credit, Penny has also, and this is coming directly from a player's mouth, uh, off the record to someone who is extremely close with him, and I'm just going to share it. Every time we lose, we change the offense. Some things aren't meant to be changed. Like, and I, So I get what you're saying. He's not, he has shown a, an inability to change the things that you believe matter, the offense has to stay the same. It has to be consistent. There are certain things that, and that's about creating your culture, your system. System, Penny has not created that. Penny has not established a culture. He has not established a system. And that's something that has not existed. So he needs to change that as a whole. Does that make sense? Yeah, but you just kind of made my point for me because he's been I doing know. this. He needs to stop doing that. He needs to pick a system at the beginning of the season over the summer, implement it, and stick with it no matter what, and then practice no it. No doubt. Because it's year three of him changing things on the fly when one thing doesn't work. It's like what he said yesterday after the Tulsa game that made me just furious. Stop saying you're not going to go small. You don't know what you're going to do in the context of one game or the next. Just up and deciding one day that you're not going to go small, who knows when you're going to need to go small again. Because Lester playing the five is pretty good. Like, he's he's actually good at it, and he spreads the floor. Like, DJ Jeffries playing the five could open up a lot of possibilities against a team that plays slow. You're just completely shutting off a basketball philosophy. That could work. And it just doesn't make a sense, sense to me. Like, it, it just shows this rigidness in a place where you need to be flexible. 
Well, another thing that Penny hasn't changed is that he he has kind of a, a knack for saying things that just are almost cringeworthy at times. And I say that with the best intentions. I, I want to see Penny Hardaway do well. I want Penny Hardaway to start listening to some people that can give him context on things that will sit well with fans and things that won't. And when you come out and say, we look like a top five team after one game for, you know, for stretches of that game and then turn around and put up 49 points and lose to Tulsa in the next, you become a laughing stock with the fans and national media. They pick on, they pick up on those things. When you wear, you know, when you say we won all the smoke last year and you create this narrative of a national championship with James Wiseman, you create this narrative around, you know, we're, we're out, we're, we're willing to play anybody and, and your play on the court doesn't match that. And then you come into this season with Memphis versus everybody. Um, it, it's, there's, there's a little bit of tone deafness there. There's a little bit of like inability to see uh, the tenor and tone of the fan base and, and media as it relates to like their perception of his performance and the things they want to hear from him. So he, in, in your same vein, he has not shown a willingness to change that approach. There is some rigidity to that you know, that media presence, the the things that he says in post-game, pre-game, and media availability. And and honestly, if I if I were advising Penny, I would tell him to take a step back, stick to facts. Let's let's be more tangible in the things that we discuss instead of broad conceptual ideas. Oh, we're a top five team. That's all <laughs> that's all like there's there's nothing quantitative about that. That's qualitative opinion based um fodder that turns into you know a crazy skewed perception of the by the fan base and media yeah and i don't want people to hear me talk about this and think that oh jonah hates penny or doesn't want penny to succeed i think penny succeeding would be the best possible thing for the university of memphis oh dude great for the city if penny hardaway did Put up, you know, like have a season where he won thirty games and won a national be championship. Awesome. The city of Memphis would would be changed forever. It would be unreal. Yeah, it's just about doing the right things the right way to actually get them there, and that's what I want to see. Kenny, I feel like you've got more thoughts. I really do. I think. <laughs> well, no, I, I do have more thoughts, but. You know, we've been talking about Penny a lot, and I get it. Like, I get it because Penny is the the coach. He's the head of that organization. He sets the culture. He pushes things along. It's his duty to do that. Um, but I think we're, we're taking a lot of attention off the players here, too. And there is a – like, just imagine, and, and I know that I'm probably going to come across looking like a penny homer here, and I don't want to be at all. But imagine being um, a top draft pick a, um, in the NBA, all-star career. I know that was a long time ago, um, but that competitive spirit and drive and willingness to fight and, and do whatever it takes to get to where the ultimate goal that you want – 
doesn't go away just because you're not playing in the NBA anymore. So Penny still has that. There's a reason why he is coaching at the University of Memphis because he wants um, that competitive spirit is not gone. He wants to continue to fight, especially for the university that he loves. And and you can almost hear it in his voice. I think I think it concerned me greatly last night when I heard some of his comments. Concerned me greatly. Um, more so it concerned me greatly because it seemed like he was at a loss for how to motivate unmotivated people. And that is, that to me is, so are we. And so are we, right? Like we're all at a loss. We're all at a loss. Like, but it's not our job to motivate them. Like we've told Alex numerous times over the last couple of weeks to drown us out. Right. Like, and I would say the same thing to Penny. It's clear to me that he listens to the media and the fan base, you you know, be willing to shut us out a little bit too. You know, do what you think you need do, like get it done. Right. Like surround yourself with people that you trust. But It almost it it was interesting to me as it came across like he was just like I don't know how to motivate these dudes, like I can't get and I don't want to say names about college players. It's it it's I mean except for (laughs) they put themselves in this position, but you know how do you get Damian Ball motivated? How do you get Boogie Ellis motivated? How do you motivate a Landers Nolly to not get was it three technicals in three games? The the technical last night in the Tulsa game destroyed the momentum for the Tiger team. Yeah, that's why they lost. Like oh, it, it was that was the game. It was over. It was like the Mario Chalmers shot in two thousand eight. You could just you could see that it was over at that very moment. Like, how do you motivate? How does how do you take a team that you're trying to motivate? And that's I think the main issue that Penny is going to have to figure out as a coach is. Recruiting the type of players that you, that are self motivated, that have goals, but are also willing to buy into the team's goals, and then being able to take that motivation that you both have and bring it out to the court. Because right now, this 2020-21 team, I don't see a single guy on this team that is going to step foot on an NBA floor next year. They can scratch every bit of that off of their plate if that's what they th- if that's what they're thinking. If DJ Jeffries, Boogie Ellis, or, or Lester Quinones, or Landers Nolly, or anybody is thinking that they're going to step floor, foot on the NBA floor next year outside of a GoGo's uniform, then oh my god, <laughs> they got to get their there. minds right. Well, but isn't that Penny's job though? He is also a coach and a motivator. Like 100%. I think that is that that it doesn't matter who you're going to recruit, you're going to have to motivate 100%. people. Every once I, in I a think while. it is his job, and you know, at some point, you, you these evaluations don't give you the ability to determine a player's level of buy-in before they get there, and you know that's part of building the relationship and and you know talking to these guys, talking to people close to him. But he is stuck in a weird position this year. Like a very weird position where he's got to figure out to a way to get into the DNA of these dudes that he thought he knew before the season, you know, and it doesn't get easier from here. Memphis now a week from today on Tuesday <laughs> on the 29th, 
Tulsa and Tulane were supposed to be the easy games, right? Right. <laughs> Memphis now has to go and, and play USF. And Donkey stomp. Of course, yes, it's at home, but they got curb stomped by USF uh, last year. And I'll be honest, like this USF team is good. I, I really like what they do. They still have David Collins. David Collins, I, I do not like the way he plays. Uh, he is, um, he flops a ton. He's out of control at times. Uh, I think he's extremely dramatic and kind of a whiny baby on on the court. Um, that's just I, not my style of what I like to see. But they've they've got really, you know, Yetna is really good. He's gonna he's uh, gonna he's Caleb, gonna dominate Memphis down low. Oh my gosh, Justin Brown is a matchup issue for Memphis. Um, you know, he's he's upper class. He's a senior. He's got size. He can do multiple things. And then they've got a freshman who's better than any of Memphis's freshmen at this point. Um, and it's not even close in in Caleb Murphy. Caleb Murphy is uh, going to give Memphis's guards. A lot of issues. If Memphis tries to go big and put someone like Lester Quinones on him, South Florida will live in the paint all day. Little dishes, finishes at the rim. It's going to get rough from here for Memphis. Uh, Temple, we don't know a whole lot about. Only one game so far. But then Memphis has to play UCF, who UCF uh, appears to be absolutely no joke this year. Beat an Auburn team that Memphis could not beat. Uh, not only did they beat them, they beat them rather handily. Uh, they And then this past weekend, they go and beat Florida State by 12 at Florida State. And Florida State is a top 15 level team. So this slate does not get any easier. Penny Hardaway and staff have to get this figured out ASAP. Christian, bring a little bit of sanity back into this you haven't talked for a while there's no sanity, sanity here, back. is there i feel yeah, like because 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 i have no sanity to bring back in this like it's there's nothing that i'm gonna say that's gonna be positive or make anybody feel better and typically that is kind of my role because i like to do that but there's nothing here that i that i see that's positive and like brooke said that staff has eight days you got eight days to figure some shit out and if you don't the rest of this year is going to be terrible just, just blatantly, blatantly, straight up, it's going to be trouble in paradise if they don't get some things figured out over the next eight days. I do have something positive to say, Christian. I think you can agree with this. DeAndre Williams looks good, and he it looks like he's one of those guys that cares. And I think he's somebody that may be able to rally the troops a little bit. Maybe that may be misguided, but I really do think people kind of gather around a guy. Yeah, like I mean, we'll see. Here's the tough position that all four of us are in. Um, You know, I think... Our subscribers on GoTigers247, the people that listen to this podcast, I think they want honest feedback. They want honest takes and opinions on the state of Memphis football, basketball, recruiting. And they also want perspective. So there's there's a level of honesty that fans can have and not know the things that we know. Um, so having the inside information, the insight into the inner workings of the football and basketball program uh, programs, they give us a little bit more um, 
ammunition to shape our outlook. And in a position like this, we're now stuck in a, in a spot where people are looking to us for that perspective and those answers and saying, how does this get fixed? What's going on? How? And I think we're in the same boat that Penny Hardaway was in in that press conference last night. That's exactly, I don't know. That's exactly right, Brooks. I, I, as I've been listening and even just inserting myself into the discussion here, I feel like we're just kind of all over the place, right? Like we're all over the place in terms of trying to diagnose and figure out and all this kind of stuff. It's kind of the state of the Memphis program right now. So there's not going to be some like, you know, step one, step two, step three equals national championship. There's, there's just a lot of stuff that has to be dealt with. And so if this podcast comes across rather um, scattered, it's because the Memphis program is scattered right now. Any other thoughts from anyone before we wrap this thing up? Christian, you got anything? I'm good. Jonah? I think, I think I've made people upset enough as it is. Hey, well, guess what? You'll find out in the comments. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, you listen to the podcast, uh, go to the article on Go Tigers 247, the article section, go to the comments and let Jonah Jordan. It's at Jonah underscore Jordan. You have to select his username, tag him, and go at him. Uh, if I think you, it's just Jonah Jordan. Is it? No G- space? Yeah. Okay. I should have right. let you give him the wrong at. Well, find him. I, if if you don't tag him, I will. Uh, so, Kenny, anything else? I'm good, man. All right. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Tigers in 20. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave a comment and a rating wherever you download your podcasts. If you are interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis athletic program, please hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are uploaded daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for the VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.